Hello and welcome to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. I'm Dino Varelli, founder and CEO of Project Purple and the host of the Project Purple Podcast. We have another interview for you coming up with a very special guest after a few quick updates. The Project Purple Podcast has surpassed over 100,000 downloads. So thank you to all the guests for allowing us to share their journeys and to all the listeners for tuning in every week and listening to some of the amazing stories that we share on the podcast. 2023 was another record year for us. It was our best year ever in terms of fundraising. And I just want to thank everyone who helped, supported, donated, or participated in a Project Purple event. We have launched many of our 2024 teams, and we are back in the Boston Marathon as an official charity partner. This now makes us an official charity partner of the five largest world marathons. Many of our other 2024 races will be launching very soon. We are also excited to bring back our signature Purple Patties virtual event, which is happening in March, and that has actually launched. For those that live local here in Connecticut, we are excited to announce our second annual charity Pickleball Classic on February 24th in Oxford, Connecticut. To learn more about these great events, visit our website at projectpurple.org and make sure to follow us on social media to stay up to date on all things Project Purple. Without further ado, let's meet our special guest today coming to us all the way from across the pond, as we say here on the podcast, because we've had many people from the UK um, joining us here on this podcast, which I love as this podcast has become global. We've had people from Australia, uh, from other parts of Europe, and uh, coming to us from southwest of London, Charlie Anderson Reed. Welcome to the Project Purple Podcast. Hi, it's really good to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, uh, as we were kind of playing catch up before we hit record, um, you know, uh, I, I think it's it's really special as I was kind of naming some names. We've had a lot of people from the UK. And as you heard in my intro, you know, we're, we're a charity partner of the, the five largest world marathons. The London Marathon has now become kind of a signature piece in our marathon program. So not only are we bringing runners over there to promote our, you know, goodwill and all the things we're doing and give our runners an opportunity to uh, to run a, a race in an amazing city in the UK, one of the largest marathons in the world. But then to be able to bring people on our podcast from the UK is really cool to me. And, you know, I, I think that's something that I really enjoy most about this podcast is really being able to share stories not just here from the United States, but people from all over the world, um, you know, that have gone through this experience. And so I really thank you for for giving us the opportunity here to share your experience, your journey with pancreatic cancer. And with that, uh, which is customary, we always give our guests the first uh, kind of time block to kind of share their experience and journey with pancreatic cancer, because uh, Hopefully, uh, a lot of the listeners don't know your story. I'm sure you'll share it with your friends and family, and they'll know some of the background. Uh, but we have a pretty vast following, and you know, we'd love to kind of give our guests that opportunity to kind of share their uh, their background and their experience. And as I have said in the past, Charlie, in doing this, you can say as high level as you want, or you can get as deep in the weeds as you want. The choice is yours. I will be taking notes, and with that, the microphone is yours. <laughs> okay, thanks. Um... So my journey, well, it happened relatively quite quickly, and I'm sure for a lot of people, um, the same for me, it happened really quickly. Um, 
I would say that maybe I started feeling unwell was beginning of um, July time of this year. Um, and that's when I noticed my appetite really reducing. I've always really enjoyed food and um, I think that was probably the first sign. But for me, I put it down to stress rather than anything else. Um, I never thought that it would ever be cancer, let alone pancreatic cancer. So um, there was a few things happening in my life which were quite stressful. So I just, I literally put it down to that. And I just thought when things got a bit better, which I knew that they would do, that my appetite would come back and everything would be okay. So that's really what I put it down to. Um, my appetite wasn't really coming back after a few weeks and I wanted to um, get the stress under control because I didn't want it to, um, you know, have any sort of negative effect on my life and I wanted to, you know, kind of, um, yeah, kind of make sure everything was okay. So I got in contact with Occupational Health at Work and they were really great and they said to me, I'm sure everything's okay, but just go and speak to the doctor um, and just make sure that everything is okay physically as well as psychologically. So that's what I did. And I went to speak to the doctor who saw me quickly, um, but then it was the blood work and the blood investigation that took a bit of time. Um, so I went for a few blood tests. They couldn't really identify anything that was um particularly wrong um and I'd say probably after a month or so of that investigation work they sent me for an ultrasound scan and it was the ultrasound scan that then highlighted um, a large mass that they found in my abdomen that I didn't sort of find out for a week or so so when I went for my ultrasound scan they didn't really kind of um they didn't kind of let anything sort of slip about what it might be but I did start to worry when they were asking me certain questions so it was kind of like the way they were phrasing questions and what they were asking me so it was very much like how long have you been ill for and it was all that and I kind of you know where they were kind of scanning in it felt a bit more uncomfortable um I had had pains um, in my abdomen area but again it wasn't all the time it was just occasionally and again it was when I felt that I was in a stressful situation and that's when those pains came as well so again I was kind of putting it down more to stress than anything else um, I received a call from my doctor who told me that it was very serious and I remember him saying that multiple times to me um, and I kind of asked him to try and explain a little bit about what he meant by that and he said I think it might be cancer. Um, he did suggest that it could be pancreatic but he also said that it might be a blood type of blood cancer and um, I did ask him what he meant by that but to be honest I can't really remember what he said. Um, kind of taking it all in and I, I missed a few bits but um over over here um if you're booked in for an urgent 
ultrasound um, an urgency T-scan, which is what I was booked in for. And it has to be done within sort of a two-week period. So that got escalated. So I was an urgent referral. Um, and I got booked in for two weeks' time. But after that ultrasound scan, I just felt myself deteriorating every day. It just it just all of a sudden just escalated. I struggled to kind of walk around. Walking up the stairs was hard for me. The pains increased quite significantly and I um, ended up taking more and more painkillers. So I, I knew that maybe two weeks was potentially too long for me um, just based on my deterioration and how I was feeling. Um, so I spoke to the doctor, let them know obviously my updated symptoms, but there's only sort of so much that they can do in relation to booking me in for a CT scan. Um, I knew that I couldn't wait that long. So I ended up self-presenting um, in hospital um, and seeing someone there. And luckily for me, I think they realised that it was quite serious and they gave me a CT scan then that evening. Um, I didn't know that some specialists have discussed my case to try and bring my CT scan forward at that point. Um, but like I said, luckily they they did my CT scan. So a friend drove me to the hospital and waited with me whilst I had my CT scan. Um, a few hours went by, so I had to wait for the results. And uh, I think it was probably about midnight, just gone midnight on Saturday. And they referred me to the surgical ward. So I thought, this is great because it's either going to be an emergency surgical procedure or they're going to turn me away and tell me to come back because maybe it's not that bad. Um, so this is sort of before that I'd really been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Although it's just it was some form of cancer. Um, I was aware that it had spread to my liver at this point anyway, so I knew that who it was... Who told you that, Charlie, though, from the CT scan or from the ultrasound that it had spread? So I knew that it had spread because... Um, so through the National Health Service app, um, no one had actually told me that it had spread... But through the app, I have access to my medical records. And mm -hmm. I went on, and that's where it suggested that it had spread to my liver. So no one had actually told me at this point, but I was aware that it, it had. Um, so, yeah. So you could I, see it in the app with your chart and with the records. So before you could actually talk to a doctor, you're actually seeing the results yeah. of the testing in the app i know that happens yeah. often here uh because in the states we have various medical systems they call them um probably the most familiar one is called my chart so you okay. can go in there and see the test results before you actually meet with the doctor which yeah so yeah. i mean yeah i know I, I wish i kind of hadn't looked at it but I'm glad yeah I got a question for you real quick here, though. So, first of all, and, and I know this is something that we, we 
we often bring up, but you're young. What what is your age? Sometimes yeah, yeah. Yeah, so like coming in 38, so like prior, like I, I just want to take a quick step back. Like, so life before July, like normal health family history uh your history no issues no major medical health issues at all literally nothing um i've been i love sport i love exercise um when i could do it you know um i used to be i mean i've played so many different sports i used to play national league hockey over here um I I cycled from so I grew up in a town called Newbury, which is um south of England, probably about an hour's east to where I am at the moment. But you know, I, I love cycling. I cycled from my town to Rome one year. Um I've done it to Paris, you know, I've cycled so much and I've done so much exercise and just so many sports I played it. it I've had no no health issues at all before this. I think um, just kind of like maybe the usual thing, like the odd broken bone through sports. Yeah, and yeah, but nothing nothing major that would require surgery or you know any type of um, you know medication. That's a long term fix. So relative, like healthy as can be, active. Yeah. And then you just get this like ill feeling and appetite just reducing yeah. and nothing else. Like there wasn't, and I always, I, I ask this question often. I mean, I, and it's a hard one because I think hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? Like we always, I think as human, human beings, we always kind of look back and say, oh, well, that was something and I didn't recognize it, but now it all makes sense. So hindsight being twenty twenty, even if you look, prior year or you know two years before there was never an episode where you could have said like hey i had diarrhea or i had i shouldn't say diarrhea but like a gi episode for like a week that just didn't go away and i just thought it was like bad tacos or something or you know bad fish and chips <laughs> yeah no like literally nothing like no nothing like in fact i don't really ever get sick it's just like you know I never take time off work from being ill like just nothing like nothing um I mean history family history of cancer um up until recently unfortunately I've recently lost my dad to cancer which is part of the whole best thing but before that nothing there's there's been there's been none none at all um and I guess, I mean, you just, you never expect to no matter what age you are, but I guess when you're younger, you kind of think, yeah, you know, cancer is rife at some point it's going to, you know, you're going to come into contact with it at some point, but you kind of never, you never expect it to be kind of this early was kind of, I don't know, it's probably not the right way to the world. No, it's not the right way to think about it now, but um, you kind well, of put it. That's normal though, right? Like if you haven't experienced cancer as a family, I think cancer's always been no most cancers, not all cancers, right? But most are like, you know, as you get older. I remember seeing a statistic a couple years back, like you had a, a you know, a uh like one in three chance of being diagnosed with a cancer like 65 and above. 
right? Mm -hmm. It's either cancer or heart disease. So as you age, right, the the statistical percentage goes up and the fact that you might get a cancer. I mean, it's just just statistics and epidemiology and how we age, right? And how people's bodies and, and there's a lot, I think there's a lot of factors in it, but statistically we know that. So like, I think like being 38, healthy and active, most people don't think like, hey, like uh, it's cancer, right? Like you think like it's some other source of like your pain or what you're experiencing. Mm-hmm. But it's it's kind of interesting though in the last like couple years. And I know there's been a lot of, excuse me, a lot of uh, words out there floating around. But I, I just, I know for us, I think we have seen a lot, a lot of people, a lot of younger people and I have to kind of preface this that this is a podcast and we do see people who are out there, like a lot of people that we connect with are people who are sharing their stories on social media. So I think a lot of those people um, are people like yourself that are, uh, this is an unexpected, they're all unexpected diagnosis, but they're young. So we have interviewed a lot of people um, that have been like 45 and under in the last like year and a half. Is that to say that there's something going on in this pancreatic cancer space? I've asked someone who is a lot smarter than me about that. Statistically, there's some data that suggests that there's something going on with females, um, but not like um like you know it's percentage points, which is still a significance. Um, and you know, there's also something I think when you're in when you're in it every day, I think it's just more prevalent. Um, versus the general population. Mm. But there is something happening, I think. Not not and I don't mean that in a negative way. I I I think that this is a positive because and this is the power of sharing stories on this podcast is that like this isn't an old person's disease. Like yeah. I think like 10 years ago, like everyone thought this was like someone in their 60s and 70s and 80s that got this cancer. And that's not the case. Mm-hmm. No. So yeah. you go back, go back to where we were before I jumped in here. So you you find on the the app that this has spread to the liver, and then where do you go from there? Um. Yeah. So I I kind of I kind of well just from looking at the app I knew that uh, before the the hospital. So, um, so I was waiting on the surgical ward. We waited there for a couple of hours or so, and I get pulled through um, by one of the surgeons. So we go into, uh, I guess, like a consultation room, I suppose. Uh, my friend Lily's with me, and she just asked me to kind of go through kind of when it started, and she did a physical examination of me. And um, she, I mean, she asked me if I wanted my family with me. And um, I mean, it was about half one in the morning. Um, and my family were like 40 minute an hour drive away. So it was, I wasn't going to wake up my 18 month at the time to drag them all the way to like to hospital to find out what was happening. It wouldn't have been appropriate. So um she literally just she literally just looked at me and said, "There's nothing we can do for you." Um, 
she said that she suspected it was pancreatic cancer and again there was no surgical treatment options for me um which was um to say it was a shock would probably be a bit of an understatement um I didn't really know what to say but I kind of just the first thought to me was how on earth am I going to tell people like what I mean I came to kind of get myself sorted out and I was like literally just leaving with well nothing that could be done um so I asked her I kind of said to her you you sure there's literally nothing that can be done nothing and she said well one of my colleagues will look over it next week but it's unlikely that you're going to get a biopsy because it's basically it's too far gone um so um she asked me if I wanted to take a moment I I mean I didn't really answer so she kind of made that decision for me and kind of left the room um and I kind of just sat there and just trying to I don't know process things and kind of work out what I was going to do and yeah what my next steps were really um Lily was still there with me she was quite upset and um yeah the um surgeon came back in she said you've got two options you can either stay here and we hydrate you and offer you pain relief or we can give you medication to go home so I took the decision to go home. I didn't think that was, I didn't really want to be hanging around the hospital any longer than I needed to. I figured I might not be too long before I was back, so I didn't want to hang around. Um, so I left and we casually went to get food and uh, my friend drove me home and I went to go and sleep in the spare room. And then the next day I had to to tell my family what the update was which was like the hardest thing ever still probably the hardest thing today um luckily for me uh someone else did look at the information so the surgeon that gave me the update wasn't an oncologist I don't believe they had any sort of specialist in it I think I don't know for sure but I think they've looked at the scan and just seen how potentially bad it looked and kind of told me maybe 99.9 percent of times how it would kind of work out but luckily for me someone else looked at it and told me to come in for a biopsy on the Tuesday so I did um and when I went for the biopsy the doctor that was doing it said to me listen, there's no cure for what you have, but there may be the chance to prolong your life. So that's why we're doing this biopsy. So for me, I was already, it was already better for me because I couldn't, it couldn't get any worse for me at the weekend. So I'm very grateful for the biopsy, which they did. And um, come the Friday, some oncologists and some specialists discussed my case. Um, confirmed that it was well they believed that it was pancreatic and I managed to then come under uh, Professor Morn who is a specialist uh, pancreatic specialist over here so I saw him on the Friday I went to go and see him and I 
he kind of assessed me and he was making the decision on whether to send me for chemotherapy or not. Um, he was on the fence about doing it, but he went outside of guidelines and gave me the opportunity to do chemo, which started on the Tuesday. And that's Tuesday after I had my pick line put in on the Monday. So, so grateful because he got that arranged for me. Um, I think people even got moved around for chemo and stuff for the following week just so that I could do it. Um, he said that obviously there's going to be lots of side effects to chemo, but for me that didn't, it could have been anything. I you know well, that wasn't really important to me. It could have been, I would have done it anyway. Um, but he did say that um, obviously the chemo will affect obviously your reproductive your reproductive system. Usually we would give people the opportunity to freeze eggs and things, but he said, but under these circumstances you don't have time for any of that. So I knew that it was aggressive just from how I was feeling, but that just kind of it just all kind of confirmed for me kind of you know how serious it all was at that point and things needed to happen quickly so that's kind of it up until kind of you know I went through and had chemotherapy so it kind of started off from not having a chance and then kind of writing me off up until having the opportunity to have chemotherapy so that's what I'm in the process of having at the moment um, I've done three rounds of chemotherapy he has booked me in for another five. I have met with him a couple of times, the professor. And at the moment, he says that the tumour in my pancreas and in my liver is reducing, which is absolutely amazing because I know that this doesn't always work like that. Um, so it's a case of kind of seeing what happens now. Um see what happens to the tumour I know that that this chemotherapy has given me more time which I you know I'm just so grateful for um because without it I just I think yeah I'd be I'd be in I'd be a lot worse now I'd be in a lot of trouble so yeah I'm just so grateful that it kind of got recognized and they gave me the opportunity to do chemotherapy and that's, that's kind of where I am at the moment wow and your daughter, you said, is 18 months. Is that right? Yeah, so she's 19 months now. 19. Right? Yeah, and at that time she was 18. So. so that's a lot. You got a lot going on <laughs> with a daughter, uh, with a daughter, and then going through this. That's a that's quite a bit. Um, but you know, here, um, Wow. I, I just, you know, been taking notes here and to go from, um, you know, 2023, which is a couple months back, but that's a lot to take in over these last couple months. Um, as you know, though, as the chemo works, that's the positive piece, right? But I, I think like just listening to you, Charlie, like share, like, I, you know, and we have this discussion on this podcast often about the public healthcare system in the UK. It's a public healthcare system, right? Um, here in the US, it's not a public healthcare system. It's private and there's 
pros and cons to both, I feel. Um, and I know I've been a really staunch advocate since the very beginning. Um, again, here in the US, if patients don't connect with doctors or you know the doctor doesn't have compassion, go somewhere else. It's very difficult to do that in a public healthcare system, right? Because you can't, you're kind of given what you're given, right? Um, and, and, you know, I know there's benefits like, you know, in terms of like, Hey, if they wanted to do genetic testing and make sure that everyone who came in into the UK for pancreatic cancer got genetic testing, that's a real easy, easy decision to make in the sense that it can, it, you know, once they make that decision, it happens. Right. Um, here in the U S that's not the case, you know, even though it's been mandated by the, the government since I think 2018, there was just a study that came out and said, you know, only 30, I think it was like 32 or 35% of the patients are getting genetic testing. Um, you know, which is frustrating because we do know that, you know, there is a large percentage, a large enough percentage of cases that, that have some sort of genetic mutation, but there's drugs that work relatively well with people with those genetic mutations. So, you know, there, there's pluses and minuses, I guess, in the systems. Um, and, you know, that's a bigger fight to have. Um, but, you know, listening to your story, it's very frustrating that you heard the news from someone who wasn't probably an expert in clinical oncology, right? Um, not, I'm not trying to throw anyone under the bus, but just hearing your story, which, you know, it, it, it sucks. It sucks to, to have to have that experience but it's great that you found a doctor that's willing to give you a chance right and and give you the, the opportunity to fight and you know anything can happen i always tell patients you know it's it's not about staying on top it's about getting back up when because we're all going to get knocked down and you know you just got to keep getting back up and we don't know enough about why chemo works really well for some people and for other people you know it doesn't but if you're having positive response, that's a positive. Um, and hopefully that continues to happen and, you know, everything goes as according as it should, um, you know, with these, these treatments and, and medications. So thank you for sharing that background. Um, it, it's so powerful. Again, I go back to your age being 38. It's just so young to be going through this. Um, and I hope people listening on the other side realize this like you know we we talk about this that this is not an old person disease we've got to kind of get away from that um you know and, and young people need to be aware of what's going on um you know of signs and symptoms and loss of appetite is one of them it's a very vague one right as as most of them are uh but it's a symptom it's a sign um so you have to be aware of that I've got a couple of questions here for you. Um, some that we've kind of done some research and then some that I've mentioned before that I, that I have that we usually ask. I know your hair, your head is, uh, you shaved your head. I know from looking at your social media, that's kind of been a big thing for you. You've been rallying people all around. It looks like all around the world. And I, I think I saw someone from Canada recently shave their head. So let's talk a little bit about that and what that means to you and, and everything that's happened with that. So I, I knew that I would lose my hair. Um, so, but again, I just think in the grand scheme of things, if this, and I know that it has given me longer, so 
I don't I don't mind um I don't mind losing my hair um I think in a way it's you know the fact that I was given chemotherapy um it's it's okay um I mean my hair started falling out in like it was fine it was fine for maybe a week or two and then it just started all falling out and I just thought it just needs to go because I'm going to wake up and I'm just going to have, yeah, it's just going to be worse. So I went to a salon who kindly did it for me for free because of the situation. And, and I've kind of gone from there. I mean, today, actually, I need to talk about hair losses. My eyebrows, even today, kind of started maybe falling out. So I think that might be the next thing. But, you know, that's, it's fine um you know I just wear hats when it's cold and if people I don't know if people look then that's fine because you know it kind of gets people thinking a little bit and I really don't mind like it's okay so you have kind of recruited people to do the same thing though as well that wow. aren't going through the cancer journey. So let's talk a little bit about that because I know on the the social media page, there's quite a few people that have shaved their head in honor of you, right? Wow, more than I thought. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I just kind of put the idea out there, and um, well, actually, no, I didn't put the idea. I don't know what I said. No, one of my friends came to me and said, "Would it be okay if I could do it?" And I was like, "Well, yeah, absolutely." And then we kind of ran with it. And then I just kind of said, well, if anybody else wants to do it, not really expecting anyone kind of, you know, put their hands up and volunteer. Um, people have done and they're still doing it. And it's great. In fact, even tomorrow, I'm one of my friends is coming over and they want me to do it. Like I've got no hairdressing experience, <laughs> which is crazy. But, you know, so I have a friend coming over tomorrow and I'm shaving her head and she's donating her hair to a children's cancer charity, which another of my friends already done. So, yes, I'm completely blown away with the amount of people. And people are doing other things as well, like, you know, someone's jumped into the freezing sea in like the northeast of England and, you know, other people are running a mile every day next month and people going, you know, not drinking alcohol for January and and people coming up with lots of other ideas to raise money. And it's great. I just, yeah, didn't foresee. I think I put the target, like the fundraising target, at about £200 initially, just thinking it might be a bit of a struggle to get that. Um, and we've hit over £7,000. So, yeah, it's great. Awesome. And it, yeah, I mean, yeah, I didn't really, I didn't think it would, I didn't think that anyone would, but people are, which is great. Hmm. It, it's so, um, it's so special, I think, because like, you know, um, until people really um, go through something like this, you know, you see it like, I, I guess I my point here is like, you know, you can go to social media, you can turn on the news and you can see how bad things are, right? Um, and but though then, you know, this this is not that this is a good thing, Charlie, what you're going through. We wouldn't wish it on anyone, but you see like the the amazingness in friends mm -hmm. and how people rally around people who uh, 
you know, may not necessarily ask for the help, but how powerful that is that what they're doing in honor of you and support of you is just really, really special. And we often say that, you know, no one should ever go on this journey or this experience or experience this alone. Um, and it's just really special when you have friends that do that. I mean, to shave their hair, <laughs> you know, to, to, to honor a, a friend, a BFF, a family member is just so cool and, and so special. Um, especially for an older person, because, you know, younger people, their hair grows back pretty quick. Older people doesn't grow back as quick, right? Or they may not have as much anymore. So it's a lot harder for them to grow that back, that length. So uh, it, it is really, really special. On that piece, though, what has it been like, you know, this has been a relatively early journey in the sense that, you know, it's only been since July, but it sounds like you've had friends and and people kind of step up and support you and, and be part of that team. So what, what's that been like? And, and let's talk a little bit about that. Well, I couldn't have done it without them. Like I, I wouldn't. Yeah. I mean, I literally just don't have the words to just, just tell everyone how grateful I am for all of their support and all the help. Like, uh, there's so many people that have generally offered help in whatever capacity and you know from fundraising to like you know doing kind of um like chemo packs for me and you know putting like little things together even like cooking eat. people are sending flowers like like you said there are there's a lot of like negativity in the world and there's a lot of bad things happen, but actually I think the reality is there's a lot more good than there is bad. And yeah, I think people don't realize how amazing they are. And yeah, I literally, I couldn't, I couldn't have done it. And I couldn't, I guess kind of be how I'm feeling positively as well um, without my friends and family and even people on social media with their support. It's, uh, it's just, yeah, I just, I'm just so grateful. We often get a question a lot here. Um, I get it often. And I'll pose the question to you in, in this, I guess, way. And how it happens is someone will call and say, hey, my neighbor or my cousin or someone I know really, really well has just been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. What should I do for them? And I love asking this question to the patients because I think this is a unique perspective because I think a lot of times people call in and they're like, they think they need to like do something grandiose or they like, they don't know what to do, but given your experience that you've gone through and, and you don't necessarily have to name anyone, um, but maybe just like what has been like the best thing that it's like your friends have done for you during this time as you've gone through this. I, well, for me personally, I think. It can all it's always hard, I think, for other people um to know what to do. Um and they don't know whether to reach out to someone or not, or you know, they might not have spoken to someone for a little while and they think maybe they don't kind of won't want the contact. I think for me, even reaching out and going, look, I'm thinking of you, you know, is there anything that I can do? Even just something like that. Um I think I felt like it I'd for me I just kind of prefer kind of just someone reaching out to me so if anyone's on the fence about whether to contact that person or not I would say just kind of do it um 
you know, you might not get a response, but you better kind of reach that hand out and at least offer it um, than not to. So, I mean, it's the small things, really. Like, you know, some of my friends will send me like little memory photos of kind of a few years ago and like good memories or, you know, nice little distractions. And although, you know, I'm going through stuff at the moment, that doesn't necessarily mean that I don't want to hear about what other people are going through. So, um, you know, I still want to hear, like, if you're having a bad day, like, it's, um, you know, kind of keep, I would say, like, you know, keep me in the loop and, yeah, just keep those conversations going and just, you know, talk about everything. Talk about, you know, talk about cancer, talk about, you know, your baby didn't sleep last night or, you know, that's fine. You're allowed not to sleep and you're allowed not to have a good night. I'm not going to turn around. You know, you don't turn around and go, oh, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, it's good to just keep those conversations going, every conversation going and not have it about one thing. But for me, that's important. Powerful. How's it been being a, a new mom and, and dealing with this? Because I imagine that's going to be pretty difficult managing yeah. a young baby and then managing now. You know, you're as a mom, as a parent, I know I have two boys, but like, you know, you're always worried about the child, right? Because they're so young and you've got to manage everything. But then now you become kind of, you got to prioritize your health here in this, you know, in this instance so that you can take care of the child. Uh, it's really hard to balance. Um, luckily for my partner, my partner is amazing. Um, and they've just look, taken control over that part of it um but it is difficult because you've got to be really mindful of your immune system and stuff and children do carry lots of viruses um but it it is hard it's do you know what it's got its pros and it's got its cons because they're like this little bundle of energy that's just they're just running around all the time like learning things all the time and it's great but you're tired and it can be very tiring. Um, but again, you've got this night, you know, this they're so young and they don't like the, the kind of the only person that doesn't really know what's going on and they don't care, which is yeah. also great. Yeah. Um, but again, I just I'm just kind of taking each day as it comes and um trying to enjoy what I can. And um yeah, it's hard sometimes to try and keep taking a step back from them because they just oh you just want to like want to be with them all the time don't you but yeah, yeah gotta be careful well yeah and to your point um you know it's it's gotta be a challenge because young kids are always like i just remember from my two boys i had two boys and, and then at that age and they were only 18 months apart so like when one was sick, the other one was sick. And there was like this constant like yo-yo of like illness going through the house. So not only are you, again, you're managing like the child, but then, you know, selfishly, you got to like put yourself first because like if you're not healthy enough or strong enough, then you can't take care of, you know, or, or be part with your partner, you know, co-parent, you know, the, the child. Um, so it's got to be such a challenge for you. Um, 
I got two questions left here, and then we want to share where our audience can connect with you uh, on social media. Given your experience, and in these last two are, are there's no right or wrong answer. I'll, I'll preface that, but it's based on what you've gone through. What would be some advice for someone? You know, maybe there's someone listening when this airs in the next week or two that's in the same boat, 38 years old and gets this diagnosis of pancreatic cancer. What are some things that you would advise them to do um, because of what you've experienced? Um, I would say take a breath. <laughs> um, really, it's really hard because, you know, everyone's so different and everyone of, they're in different situations. Um, I would say that always remember that you're not on your own. There's always someone out there to talk to. Um, don't keep things bottled up because it just makes everything so much worse. So, um, whether you've got friends or family you can talk to, if you don't feel, or you don't, you don't want to kind of, you know, even if you don't have friends and family who you can speak to, there are always people out there. There's always charities that you can speak to. There's always someone out there that will listen to you and there will always someone out there that will help you. Um, just, I think, it's hard to say positive sometimes, but focus on each day, focus on what you have and focus on staying strong and doing what you can in order to just keep going I would say there's always reasons to keep going um but most importantly you need to speak to someone to speak to people that's what I would say powerful stuff no one I always say uh does it alone and I love that you brought up charities. I mean, there's so many groups. There's so many groups in the UK as well as here in the States. And um, I know you've done stuff with Pancreatic Cancer in the UK, which is an organization based in the UK focused on pancreatic cancer, and they're great. Um, and, you know, even for people who don't have a large network of friends or family, for that matter, again, there are groups out there. Um, and I think there's nothing macho about asking for help um or talking to people i think you know clearly i think we've globally have gotten i think i hope past this mental health stigma that i think it's been around for a long long time um and and you know i go back to what i just said like there's there's no it's not macho there's no trophy no one gets a trophy for doing it by themselves right uh, but the people who get through it the longest and and the people that get through it I have seen with like the best attitude, always have some sort of team or with the best results for them, always have someone or some group of people, you know, helping them through that journey or through that experience and have like various aspects of that, whether it's like family, friends, strangers, uh, people they can lean on in certain situations when they need that. And that is just so powerful what you just said. So thank you for, for giving that advice. Our last question here, and this is always, um, I always say this is a loaded question. It's probably the loaded, you know, the most loaded question that we ask. And there's no right or wrong to this, but given what you've gone through, Charlie, 
How do you define the term pancreatic cancer? What's your definition of it? And again, there's no right or wrong. Oh, definition of it. Um, I think pancreatic cancer, it's one of those cancers that just really just sneaks up on you. Like there's no build up. It's kind of all of a sudden it's you're okay. And then the next minute you're not. And then it's almost too late. So it's a, it's a really, from my experience of it, it kind of gets you when you least expect it. And it gets you like so aggressive. I mean, that's the only way I can kind of explain it, I think. There's no right or wrong, and that is powerful because at 38, you, you don't expect to get pancreatic cancer. No. And, you know, given what you just said, I mean, it's uh, it's something that, uh, you know, no one prepares for. And again, I go back to the power of sharing experiences and journeys, especially like yours. At 38 years old with a young daughter, um, you know, most people aren't thinking of pancreatic cancer, let's be honest. They're thinking about, you know, life as it is in that moment of diapers and, you know, feedings and everything that else that's involved in having a, a newborn baby or, you know, baby that's, you know, a year old at the time. So, um, yeah, it, it's it's powerful stuff. Charlie, if our audience wants to follow your journey um where's the best place or connect with you is that social i know i mentioned social media instagram is that the best place for people to go to yeah so um i'm sharing my my journey on instagram so it's um charlie with an ie and then underscore anderson reed so if anybody wants to yeah if anyone's interested then that's where you can find me and you've got your just giving link there too. So if people are inclined, I always recommend or suggest like, hey, if you like what you hear today and it inspires you, go ahead and uh, donate to uh, to Charlie's page there. I love that you have that up. Um, and like I said, Pancreatic Cancer UK is a great organization. So uh, the funds are, are well deserved for all the good work that they're doing there in the UK to help battle and help patients battling pancreatic cancer. Thank you. Charlie, thank you for allowing us to share your journey here on the Project Purple podcast. It's been an honor. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Project Purple podcast. If you liked today's episode, please share this episode and follow the Project Purple podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. That's a wrap of another episode of the Project Purple podcast. Thanks for listening. And until next time, be safe. <laughs>